take a moment and pray, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you that we could meet you no matter where we are, whether we're driving in the car, we're sitting in our living room, we're here in person. Uh, Father, you are present. Thank you for being present. And in this time, Lord, as you're revealing who you are to us in a new way, maybe, that in praise and adoration, uh, as we came together in your word, which is true, that is living and will transform our hearts at your altar, Lord, when you're made known to us in the breaking of the bread. Lord, change us this day so that we could leave here different from the way we came in. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have a question I want to you to think about or propose to you. And I think each of us will have an image or a thought when I ask you the question of what that means. If I was going to ask you, what does the rich life mean to you? And immediately something will come to your mind or your thought. We all have this understanding of what that statement is. What does the rich life mean to you? For most of us, we view the rich life based on what we've seen in television or things that we've read, but mostly television. There are ways that we've looked into a rich life and where we begin to shape and form our understanding of maybe what that statement is and what it means to us. And if you're old enough to remember, there was a, uh, a show called The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous by Robin Leach. And, and that was one of our first entranceways into looking into this you know, wealth of those in front of us and uh, from yachts to these mansions and these places, and we'd be glued to looking at these things. And he used to have a sign-off, which is his wish for the viewers, to see if you can remember, champagne wishes and caviar dreams. It's very theological. But we're, 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 we're brought to this place, and we have this view. And more recent shows that we possibly watch that are out there, shows that are on that represent this wealth and one's billions or Empire or Downton Abbey or Gossip Girls or, or one of my favorites, which is Arrested Development because they lost all their wealth. Or Lord have mercy keeping up with the Kardashians. One of those shows, <laughs> there's this thing that we're pulled to. Uh, maybe it's it's, it's some of the, the insanity within the families or the things that we see, but there's wealth and we're drawn to it. And, and it might give us what we think is our perspective of a rich life. And what is it about? What are we so intrigued about in the lives of those who are rich or in the lives of those who are famous? Is it that uh, they have what we don't have? And that's why we're intrigued. Do, are we intrigued because we believe they're living the good life? We're not. They have the good life. Are we intrigued because we watch or we see this and we define what a rich life looks like and we think they possibly can't have any problems? And, and we, we have this view. The reality is the ministry of Jesus was a counterculture ministry. It was unlike teaching they ever heard. And he came and, and he spoke that we would have a greater understanding, really, or a different perspective of that statement. He teaches us his kingdom view compared to a world view. And Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. And I would encourage you, if you want to live the way of a disciple or live a disciple's life, you want to get your heart into those chapters and really read through it. 
that he gives this message to his disciples. And it just so happens that others gathered around while he was speaking to the 12 that he called to himself. And they were listening as well. But this teaching was specific. The Sermon on the Mount was not given as a way of salvation to the lost, but as a way of a life or a way of life for a true disciple of Christ. And that's what this teaching is. kind of like grown-up teaching, you know? There comes a moment where we've got to kind of understand things. I remember um, being newly married and, you know, there was like grown-up things no one told us about, like paying your bills on time. And when you don't, they shut things off. I didn't know that. It was like a grown-up thing. We just looked at each other like, I don't know, did you do it? No, did you do it? No, no one did it. Yeah, that's why the lights are off. There's these grown-up things we have to learn, right? That, that you, you begin to separate and you begin to have to do them. You've got to act like the adult. And, and here there's this grown-up teaching that Jesus is giving us in the Beatitudes. He's, he's teaching us what a disciple's life is really about. And what he's teaching us is, is truly the rich life and what it looks like as a disciple. He's teaching us about this rich life. We all perceive the rich life in many different ways. But for most of us, we perceive it through the eyes of a consumer and not the eyes of a disciple. And, and, and we don't realize we do that, but we've been trained to do that. And we view that rich life through the things we've seen on television or the things we've read about, and we're, we're viewing it as a consumer. And they too had that same problem because you understand those who gathered around, they, they, they recognized that there was a, a difference in Jesus' teaching. Now, consumerism or, or a, a way that we should look at it, really materialism and what that does, it, it always leads to selfishness, greed, lack of self-control, and instability. It's wants versus needs. Consumerism is the obsession with acquiring stuff. And I think sometimes we don't even realize it. Now, I'm not going to judge anyone, but go ahead and check your Amazon cart right now. How many things do I really need that are in that? Is it a need? Is it a want? We don't even know because we can justify our wants. Well, I really, no, you know, I need that. You have three of them. No, I need that. I, I got to add that. But Jesus was speaking about something so much more. See, that materialism versus discipleship, it, it runs counter to discipleship of what Jesus is teaching. Discipleship leads to selflessness, generosity, self-control, and stability. Discipleship is all about becoming like Christ. And what he's laying out in the Sermon on the Mountain in the Beatitudes is that very thing, that being a follow, follower of Christ, it, it's not going to be consumer-friendly. That there's going to be two important questions that we have to ask if we're going to deal with the grown-up things about being a disciple and recognize uh, the way to a disciple's life and what it looks like and truly what Jesus was teaching. And we've got to ask serious questions. If we profess that I follow after Christ, that he is my Lord, and that's true, then we're called to become a disciple of Christ. So as the people of God, we've got to ask a question. Am I a consumer or am I a disciple? Which one am I? Because we can't be both. And, and if we try to be both, it'll utterly destroy you. But we have to make that decision. Which am I going to be? Am I going to be that consumer or a disciple? Here's the second question we've got to ask ourselves. 
Do we want to be successful or do we want to be significant? And there's a difference. See, success is what is in it for me. Generally, it's my goals, my objectives, what I'm going to get out of this world. And, and we begin to have a view on success and what success looks like. And generally, success will be driven by, by wealth and power and prestige. And, and, and that's how we understand what success is. But there's a far greater understanding if we look at, do I want to be successful or significant? Significant is different. Significant is about being or about doing the things that matter. Being significant is, 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 is doing what's important. And when we begin to do those things, it's not things about me, it's things about others. And there's a shift and a change. Now, growing up, I wanted to be successful. Who doesn't? There's things in my life that I chased after because I desired this success. I wanted wealth, power, fame. I wanted all those things, prestige, all those things. I looked at those and I began to have my view or perspective on life and what I wanted in this life for me. And part of that view was that, you know, one day I want to be a rock star. That was my, I had a plan. Singing in the mirror and everything. Like I had, I practiced moves. I, I, I played an instrument. I sang. I, I did these things. And I had this complete perspective of success and what it would be for my life. The problem is I had the lifestyle down better than the talent. I perceived what that success looked like. And I, I, I chased after those things. Things being significant were irrelevant to me. But we have to ask that question as a Christian. Do I want to be successful or do I want to be significant? And there is a greater difference. I pray for the greatest success in all of you, for all the things that God has planned in your life. But is it significant? Is it, does it matter? Is it having an impact? See, Jesus teaches his disciples what a truly rich life looks like in the eight Beatitudes. That's what he begins to teach. And it's counterculture. The world will look at it and go, you're crazy. Those who gathered around the disciples, some of the disciples said, you're crazy. Because it, it was opposite than what they understood. You see, uh, in Judaism, you looked at a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a religious leader, they had what would be deemed success in their life. And the idea was that, that if you didn't have the things that they had, you had sin in your life and God wasn't for you. And Jesus preached contrary to that, that he confronted those things. The Beatitudes are, are described as these, these blessings. They're described as a blessedness, a bliss, or a divine joy, or, or, or perfect happiness, or this fullness, or richness that we're to have in our life. And Jesus begins to lay these out for the disciples. See, the Beatitudes describe the qualities of a Christian, someone who's living a kingdom life with humility and compassion. That's what Jesus is teaching the disciples and those who are gathered. Each beatitude paints a picture of a perfect heart condition of a citizen of, in God's kingdom. It paints that picture of what that looks like. And the citizen, a, a believer, experiences an abundant spiritual blessing as a result of understanding this, as a result of getting this. The beatitudes have to do with our humanness and God's righteousness. And ultimately, what it has to do is the condition of the heart. That's something that begins 
within me and how that changes. So maybe looking at things in, in my chasing after materialism or discipleship, which, which is more important. Is it success? Is that the thing I, I strive for? Is it significance? Which is it? See, blessedness should not be seen as a reward of a religious accomplishment. That's not what Jesus was doing. It's, it, it's an act of God's grace that's evident in a believer's life. It's a celebration of a kingdom life that's being lived out in the here and now. That's, that's what it means to participate in them. That these Beatitudes speak of how a sinner stands with a forgiving relationship with God that was made possible by Christ's atonement. And that it's evident in our life. And we get this in Matthew's gospel. And Jesus lays that out for the crowd to hear of what these Beatitudes are about and why they're so important. And it's so important for us to lay hold of it as a disciple. That if I'm going to find a way to be a disciple of Christ, I'm going to find that in, throughout the gospel. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 is really going to outline it. But here where Jesus is saying, he's giving us this outline. And the outline that he's given us is if you truly want a rich life, this is what a rich life looks like. It's far greater. It's a rich life for the here and now and a rich life that's eternal with him. So what I want to do is encourage you. I want to encourage you to go back after today and open up Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and read through verses 3 through 10. Read all of 5, 6, 7. Go, go ahead, do that for yourself as a disciple. But the Beatitudes are something to be prayed through. They're something that we should reflect on each one. And saying, is my heart lining up with these things that Jesus taught? It's something we have to spend time with. So for the sake of time and for the sake that most pastors would spend the, a week of beatitude. And we'd be here for weeks. And you'd be going, oh, here he goes again with the beatitudes. So yes, I'm giving you homework. That you'll go home and, and ask those questions. And you'll begin to read through those few verses. Take you a few minutes, verses 3 through 10. You begin to prayerfully ask the questions, but I'm going to move into what we call the rapid-fired preaching. And rapid-fire is I'm rapidly going to fire through these different Beatitudes. But for you, let one ring in your heart and hold on to that one. Here we go, verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What that means is to be spiritually bankrupt and recognize your need for God, that, that I'm, I'm broken, I'm empty, that, that I need you, Lord, that, that I've hit that place. And what the promise is, that you will enter his kingdom when we confess that bankruptcy. Verse 4 is, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's to express our deep sorrow over sin and the need for repentance. And the promise is that we will be forgiven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that's to be humble, submitted to God, demonstrating a self-control. That's what meek means, and that's what he says. Blessed are those who are meek. And what is the promise that, that you'll inherit the earth? In other words, that, that in that display of you being meek, what he says, all that I have is yours. And in verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. This is the one I always stop at, because this is the one I ask myself the question, do I truly hunger and thirst after the Lord? Or am I hungering and thirsting after all the other things, and he's last? In other words, my consumerism, my materialism. I need all these things in the world first. 
And Lord, when you got them in, I'll tack that on. But what is it like to wake up and have that hunger and thirst for God? What does it mean when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst? You know what it means? To passionately desire God first over all the things of this world. That's to hunger and thirst. What a prayer to pray. Lord, help me. Help me desire you above all other things in this world. And what the promise is, that it'll satisfy our soul. You know what that means? You'll no longer be hungry and you'll no longer be thirsty. You'll be filled in that richness of what God has. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain what, church? Mercy. Mercy and showing forgiveness and kindness and compassion to others. And it says when we act that way, that we'll receive the same. That as a disciple, that we're bringing in that forgiveness, that compassion, that kindness, and we'll receive, we'll obtain that same mercy. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And that's to be purified from the inside out. That I'm transformed in my heart as a result of who Christ is and what he's done for me. That, that what we've been speaking about, that inward relationship is first before I can have the outward ones. And as a result of that inward relationship that he's transforming, there's a pureness in my heart because he now dwells and lives within my heart. And the promise is that you will hear and see and know God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Verse 9 that means to be reconciled to God through Christ and bringing reconciliation to others. It's the heart of Jesus to be a reconciler, not a divider, not someone who's sowing discord, but that we are called to be the peacemakers. When we walk in a room, people should feel different. When there's division, we should be the ones who bring peace and healing and reconciliation through Christ. He says, blessed are those who are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. It says, you are children of God as a result of it. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How importantly to boldly live out our faith regardless of the cost. How often do we, we, we hesitate on that decision because we're afraid of what it might cost us? Jesus said, don't worry, you're going to be blessed that there's a more blessed life as a result of that. He says, matter of fact, you'll be so blessed, yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus shows us a way to a rich life. The world won't agree. They'll say, I'm crazy. But if you're following after Christ and you truly want to be his disciple, he gives us an understanding of a rich life. And that rich life is lived out in that relationship with who he is by the characteristics that he mentions in the Beatitudes for his disciples. And I just picture that day when the teaching went forth. Probably most of the disciples had a little hard time with it. But the people around the crowd who were listening, I guarantee you some began to hear and began to follow, but many walked away. Because there was an unwillingness. Because I wanted to be successful, not significant. And what the Lord wants you to do is be significant in all these ways. What the Lord wants you to do is live this, this richer life in him. Amen. And as you live that richer life in him, what you discover is that everything else compared to it is counterfeit. Amen? Yeah. 
Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would teach us your ways and understand a way of life that you've called a disciple, the truly rich life. And Lord, in any of these areas that we just need you to, to move in our life, to help us grow in that richness of who you are, teach us to hunger and thirst for you, Lord, for your righteousness and to live out that life, to be peacemakers. Lord, help us be those disciples you call us to be. Now, if you're here and, and, and you're listening and and you haven't made a decision for Christ, it begins in that place. It's a heart change from the inside out. You've got to ask him into your life. You've got to make that decision, Lord, that I want to be your disciple and follow after you. And it's a gift of grace that he gives to us. And his promise is an eternal life. What do we have to do? Surrender. And if you're willing to surrender, begin to ask him into your life, I want to pray with you just to know him in that way and let him transform you from the inside out. So if you'd like to pray with me, just repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come in. Take control of my life and make me the person that you want me to be. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now if you're sitting here in person, or you're watching online and you've prayed that, I want you to let us know. If you're here in person, you could stop by the kiosk. There's a host. If you're watching online, there's a button that comes up that says, I prayed that prayer. Why? Because as a church, we're passionate to reach those who are unchurched. And then to help you get on a pathway to discipleship and fulfill all the things that God has in store for your life. Amen? Peace of the Lord be with you. Acknowledge one another with a sign of God's peace.